what are you drinking today? Well, Amanda, I am drinking uh, Truly Lemonade with some raspberry Svetka vodka. So I have like raspberry lemonade. That's one of your favorites. It is. Good. I had to go back to the combo and drop drinking the beer for a little bit. That yeah. was mostly because I don't have any beer right now. And it's so cold, I'm struggling to drink anything anyway. Yeah. It's, but, we're in this weird Texas cold front right now. Oh, and it's coming back. Ugh. It's going away this weekend and coming back, but you'll be in Arizona. So. Oh, yeah. We say that, but our guest this week is in New York, so he's probably like thinking we're ridiculous for complaining about our, our Texas cold front. I was born and raised in New York, and this shit is still colder. What yeah. are you drinking today, Well, I'm, I'm taking a little break from the vodka, and I have a Shiner Light Blonde this evening. You and your shiners. I, I love a good shiner, and I'm leaving for Arizona, so I have to get it while I can get it. Yes. I actually have to. Um, I have a friend of mine that moved from Texas to Pennsylvania, and he's going through Lone Star withdrawals right now. Oh. So oh. I got to pick him up. Because he moved there. Anyone just, actually drank Lone Stars? Apparently, they do in Texas somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> like always the cheap beer at the bar oh i thought pbr was the cheap beer it's usually cheaper than like your domestics like a coors or a bud light or something like they sell lone star for next to nothing oh well welcome to this episode of veterans drinking vodka we believe that every veteran has a story to tell and we are here to tell it we have found that being a service member can be easy but navigating being a veteran can be a little bit harder in this episode, we are talking to George Damanis. He served in the United States Coast Guard from 2001 to 2016 as a boatswain's mate. Cheers to our first Coast Guard guest. Cheers to our first Coast Guard guest. <laughs> How are you doing today, George? Hey, what's up, ladies? I'm doing great. I have to say, when I was in Austin, I, I did drink Lone Star beer, and it was tasty. <laughs> There's two people out there that drink Lone Star beer. I've never had it. Was it super cheap? I, I don't remember because I, I was eating a ton of barbecue at the time. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where was I? Uh, I think it was, it was the Salt Lake maybe. It, I, I did like, when I was in Austin, I did like this tremendous barbecue tour that that culminated in, in me uh, waking up at 4.50 in the morning and waiting online at uh, Franklin. And oh, I've heard and, that that's the thing to do in Austin. I haven't done it yet. You know, Franklin ruined me. Uh, it, it ruined me for, for all sorts of food. Like I, like I was, I was like a regular food blogger until I got to Franklin. Like I set up my camera, I set up my, my video, my, my audio and oh God, it, like the food just ruined me. It was so good. I couldn't, I couldn't even write about it. <laughs> uh, I've heard that it's like amazing. I just haven't taken the time to do the line and the. Number one barbecue I've ever had. Definitely top five best food I've ever had. Not sure where I should put it in the top five. I, I don't even I don't even know what else is in that list. I just know it's up there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it was on the the movie The Chef, Chef too, right? Chef is that the name of the movie? I didn't see it. Oh, you've never seen that movie? I have not. You should. Me either. Really? Yeah. He. It's like these people buy a food truck. And, you know, I never watch TV, but for some reason, I'm always bringing up these weird movies on this podcast. That was, that was, that was with, um, uh, John Favreau, right? I he did that I'm... movie. Didn't he? John Favreau? No? Maybe. 
I'm not, I never know who's in these movies, but I know that like they buy a food truck in Miami and then they like travel across country in this food truck and they become like a social media pop-up type thing. And so they stop to get beignets in New Orleans and they stop at Franklin's in Austin mm-hmm. and like all these. I love beignets. Yeah. Oh, man. And so the yeah, only place on like their whole foodie road trip that I have never been to was Franklin's. And so hmm. it's always been on my list of places to go because I haven't been there. So we need to go there then, Amanda. Yeah. yeah Next summer. When I get back from my trip, because you have to go and you have to get there so early and wait in line. I got there at five. I want to say it was like, I think it was like 5.11 in the morning and I, I was like 13th in line. Yeah. And the first person was there, was there at like 5.02, he said. People bring like coolers and lawn chairs and it's like a block so like in the line yeah. yeah my family and my friends were like oh you're nuts for for doing that i'm like no i'm not i know exactly what i'm getting into but <laughs> but like, That's the thing. like what i learned i went there plan a day for it yeah like w- what i learned when i went there was it, it's a it's akin to just going like for the people who who do this like they, it was a saturday morning and it's it's akin to us going to a park and just sitting down and just you know the camaraderie of family and friends you know that you got your your lawn chairs and and you you bring snacks and, and and drinks and games to pass the time and and you're just having fun with with your family and friends so it, it wasn't it wasn't like waiting in line at the DMV at all. <laughs> that's how that's how we do it in Texas. That's right. It doesn't matter. Yeah, what was really cool was like the, the group in front of me. They're like, oh, they're like, oh, you're a photographer and you have to get back to, to that conference. Like, hey, we got like 10 more people coming. Why don't you get ahead of us? Because oh. you're not going to eat our food before us. So I'm like, wow, you guys are like the sweetest people ever. You know, can I take your picture for you? <laughs> Do would you like a professional photo? <laughs> right, I'll email it to you. Like, thanks for being yeah. cool. I, I am drinking a Mai Tai, a variant of the Latitude uh, 29 or OG, the original Mai Tai recipe. Not that high C stuff that you get from like your corner bar. Like this is legit. It's it's it uses like orgiat. Or I don't even know how to say it. Syrup, uh, simple syrup, dark Jamaican rum, Dominica rum, uh, or is it Martin? It's it's Martinique rum. Excuse me, R H U M. Orange curacao, fresh lime. It's it's the bomb. That sounds. This is the most sophisticated drink we've ever had on the show. <laughs> Leave it to the Coast Guard to bring the booze. Cheers to that. Well, you know what? Yeah. All right. It has nothing to do with the coasty in me. It has everything to do with the foodie in me. <laughs> Cheers to the Mai Tai. Hey, clink. And I have it in a in a tiki glass but with an umbrella. He does. And we will take a picture of that and put it onto our social media so you guys can see it for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm glad to be here with you guys. Thank you for, for the invite. And thank you for allowing me to represent the former most forgotten branch until the advent of uh, that fake space force. <laughs> well, we appreciate you coming on. Hey, Absolutely. I appreciate being on. Your branch is very underrepresented. Underrepresented. Damn right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, George, can you tell us where you're from and how your journey started? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm from New York, born and raised on the playgrounds where I spent. No, I'm, that's, that's Philly. No, uh, I'm from, originally from Queens, New York. Grew up born, born in uh, 
North Shore Manhasset Hospital, <laughs> Nassau County, but grew up in, in Bayside, Queens, just on the other side of Fort Taunton. Fort Taunton, well, it wouldn't be just on the other side. Fort Taunton is actually in Bayside, but I digress. Yeah, went to Bayside High School, graduated, started college, 2001. The story that I told of my enlistment was I got bored and decided to enlist. I got bored of going to the same bar with the same friends and seeing the same girls I had zero interest in and wanted to do something worthwhile and something that I've wanted to do since high school. But it came down to the Marines and the Coast Guard. My grandfather was Army. My cousin was active duty Army. And I was going to, I was looking into the Marines because I had interest in flying the Cobra. I think the Cobra is a super cool uh, helo. Oh, the Cobra is one of my favorites. That's a badass little gun machine. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so I, I was interested in that. And at the time, in the summer of 01, I was a lifeguard. And I was a lifeguard. I was, al- I was also an EMT. And we got a call from the Coast Guard at Station Fort Totten. Now it's Station Kings Point. And they had somebody was sick on a boat. Coast Guard came, got him, and we picked him up at Fort Totten. And after we brought him to the hospital, I came back and I was like, hey, just so you guys know, you know, the guy was fine. Just, you know, just for your own, you know, just for your own whatever you want, you know, your own so you mental can health. Sleep at night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the guy know. was fine. Usually you never exactly. freak out. Yeah. And I got into a conversation with, with a non rate, with a, with a E3 uh, about his experiences at Station Fort Totten. Uh, little did I know that that I would end up becoming pretty well acquainted with the officer in charge at the time. He was a chief at Chief Milmo. Uh, he retired Master Chief Milmo, but he ended up becoming the officer in charge of Station Jones Beach, where I met him uh, again after I enlisted. But hey, when, I, when I when I got qualified on the M60, that's how old I am. <laughs> I was I was M60 qualified before before uh, the Coast Guard transitioned to the 240. Yeah, so we, we used to <laughs> we used to go out to Jones Beach and and drive the 41 foot utility boat out uh, I don't know 12 miles out, out into the Atlantic Ocean, throw throw a buoy out into the to the water and, and unload on it with the uh, with the M60, and that's how you got qualified back back in Fine. back in, in in the 01 right. days. Like let's just go out and mess some stuff up and call it good. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it was, it was pretty much the same thing with the 240 and out in San Diego, except you're sitting on the bow strapped down to the, to the bow of, of a, uh, of a smaller boat, 33 footer or 25 footer, depending on your, on your unit, you know, you go out 12 miles out into the Pacific ocean and, and unload on a buoy and hope not to hit a, any sort of sea mammal or <laughs> sea turtle. Yeah. So what made you ultimately go with the Coast Guard instead of the Marines? I, the experience that I had, the experience that I had with that, with that non-rate, and just talking to that boat crew, they were, they seemed like they were really super cool. Uh, and they're like, yeah, you know what? If you're going to be putting your your life in the on the you know in the hands of crew, do you want to join the navy? And sorry, I know both of you are squids, but you know, do you want to join the navy and put your life in the hands of of you know five thousand people on a carrier that you don't even know, or twenty on a cutter? And I'm like, oh, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And what was really cool is back in back in the Department of Transportation Coast Guard that I joined, there was this thing that like we do the same work in peacetime that we do in wartime. So you're, you're, we're doing search and rescue, we're doing law enforcement, and we're doing drug enforcement, that kind of stuff. So that really appealed to me. It was it was it wasn't we were it wasn't like we were pre- preparing to go to war. 
we were doing the same job throughout. And my, my sense of, of, of wanting to be something when I grew up sort of pulled me in the direction of the Coast Guard for that, for that purpose. Because it's like, oh, well, I could get leadership training and I could get practical training too. That that's not like I mean, every recruiter tells you, you know, the, those stories of, oh, you could you could learn how to how to be a mechanic and do all this sort of awesome things in the civilian world if you become <laughs> if you get this MOS, you know, all that slick talk. The guy the, my recruiter is like, if you want to be a bosun mate, you, you sure you want to be a bosun mate? Like <laughs> like you could you could drive a towboat, a tugboat, you could be a tugboat captain, I think. Like, are you sure? And I'm like, I get to drive a boat. He's like, yeah. I'm like, well, what other rate is there to join in the Coast Guard? Like, (laughs) that's what I want to do. Desk. I don't want to ride a desk. I want to do something fun. I want to. I want to. You know, I want to go out and I want to drive fast boats and and do that kind of stuff. So, (laughs) you know, I also joined as a reservist. I wanted to finish college. So that's that's, you know, uh, (laughs) the. I went uh, July. I uh, met with my recruiter the the last week of June, and in between talking with him was was July fourth. So he was like off for like five days because you know recruiters, Coast Guard recruiters. Yeah, probably Air Force recruiters too. Yeah, probably Space Force recruiters too, because you know they're not a real branch. Anyway. Um, there, there isn't even a Space Force vet, so I could talk so much crap, and they can't say, you know, nothing because <laughs> they were just born. Yeah, there are no, no space, even, space Force. What, do, what are you gonna do? What do you do? You gonna throw your chair at me? Interviewable yet? Because there's no one that's been a veteran. Yeah. What, what, what are they gonna do? They're gonna threaten to throw throw their their office chair at me. <laughs> Not like they actually go to space. Why are they even in camis? Anyway. Uh, <laughs> you, you know you're you know you're a shit branch if the Coast Guard's shitting on you. Yes. The Coast Guard finally has... Uh, you know, you know you're a bullshit you. branch if the Coast Guard shits on you. The Coast anyway. Guard finally has someone to talk about. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, yeah so... <laughs> yeah, I, I went, I spoke to my crew at the end of June. Fourth of July happened. And I went to Cape May, beautiful Cape May, New Jersey, the Coast Guard's boot camp on... July 16th, 2001. So I had a very short courting, courting period with the recruiter. I took my dad to the session. My dad, you know, went and was, you know, a concerned father and, and played that role well and still, still signed the papers. And, you know, much to my mother's shock and surprise, I was, you know, her 20 year old son was off in boot camp two weeks later. So, uh, yeah, when I, when I decided, when I decided to put my mind to something and do it, I do it, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't waste time with it. And that's the way, that's the way that my career was. Yeah. That's the way that my career was. That's the way that, that, you know, it started middled and ended. (laughs) Um, yeah. So that's, that's the story of my enlistment. Thanks. Have a great, now, uh, Now, yeah, I was actually the, the last company in any of the branches, uh, and the Space Force hasn't even been invented yet, to have graduated pre-9-11. I graduated September 7th, 2001. Yeah, so we joined, we joined in a similar time frame mm-hmm. because I joined the Navy, like my official join date was June 6th of 2001. 
And so I had just finished boot camp and got to, I was in my first week of a school when September 11 happened. So we, we have similar stories there, even though we were in different branches. Yeah. So my first day of duty was September 10th and I was, my reserve unit was, I had the way that my, my contract was <laughs> funny, funny side story. So I was, I was ceremonial honor guard in boot camp, and that's so sweet. <laughs> Bless your heart. Yes. Uh, and let me tell you, I, I got through for, if anybody is thinking about going to boot camp, this is how you get through it in the best way possible. You say that you, that, that your knee is hurting you. My knee actually was hurting me. I, I ended up like, I, like I fell or something like that and I, and I hurt myself and they sent me to physical therapy. Boot camp physical therapy is like you stretch and then you get iced for 45 minutes. The con of it is that you have to wake up before, you know, earlier than the early for boot camp. But the pros are you miss the trash can throwing drill instructors and, and the loud, violent noises that are, that are typical of boot camp wake-ups. They do that in Coast Guard boot camp? Oh, yeah. Yeah, tossing, tossing racks. Tossing garbage cans, lockers being learned, thrown over. I was today years old when I learned the Coast Guard has a real boot camp. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, no. So here's the thing. So the Coast Guard, especially Department of Transportation Coast Guard, because now it's DHS, but Department of Transportation Coast Guard had a shit budget. Like like the Navy's, and to this day, the Navy's ship but their, their R&D budget exceeds the total budget for the Coast Guard, and that is absolutely ludicrous you know the coast guard needs new ships thankfully we're getting new cutters but we need more and the fact that that the navy's r&d budget is more than the total budget of a branch is just it's asinine but so i didn't know that either i didn't realize that you guys were so underfunded budget yeah yeah we've we've been we've been the premier maritime service on a shoestring budget since 1790 department of transportation coast guard did not have that much of a budget so the our boot camp i learned from befriending my drill instructor after uh, i graduated my drill instructor told me that our boot camps what was it called The, the recruit manual was actually a photocopy of the Marine Corps recruit <laughs> manual. S- scrap out, like scrap out, Marines. scrap out all of the killing, all of the the, the 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 combat training, the fighting, that kind of stuff. Sub in seamanship, and that was the Coast Guard's boot camp for like. 15 20 years from like the 60s to like or from from like the the uh the 70s to, to like late 90s early 2000s so they uh, were just was, like we don't need to write our own because we'll just take a chapter from the marine corps a chapter from the navy another chapter from the marine corps oh they gotta learn seamanship let's take a few more pieces from the navy yeah yeah it was it was That's it was hilarious. it was tough it was the coast guard actually has like after the marine corps it's like it, it's actually sort of known that the coast guard's boot camp is like this is like really tough and our asvab scores are are you know we actually have standards <laughs> <laughs> you have to have a high asvab score to, to at least at least when i got in you had to have a high asvab score they don't need as many people in the coast guard right so they have the ability to be a little more selective yeah, yeah. I think I think when I joined, it was like thirty six. I think it it bumped up to like forty six after nine eleven thousand thirty six thirty six thousand 
plus like 15,000 reservists. And then, and then it bumped up like another 10 grand um, after 9-11. And then right around just before I got out, right when budgets were being slashed and governments were being shut down, they started like a crisp uh, re- a reduction in force. I forgot what the, what the hell cr- CRSP st- stands for, but it's like, we're going to get rid of people. And, and and they consolidated and a lot of good people got canned. I mean, there were some people that were like dragging out their retirement that should have gone and they did. But a lot of, I know uh, some quality uh, Coasties who, who ended up getting, you know, ended, ended up getting cut and they were, you know, past the halfway mark, which sucks. I mean, I, I shouldn't really talk. I, I decided to get out at 15, but. What year did they start doing the reduction in force? I want to say like 13, maybe 13, 14. Okay. That sounds about right. It was a bit, all those, all those government shutdowns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. We had, we had I, a crap, we had a crap, uh, commandant also at the time. He, famously and it, it it created so much of course nobody nobody uh who was an active uh coasty or active reservist was going to say you know criticize the commandant out loud but it created so much like um disdain because he was famously known for standing uh, stand, sitting in a congressional budget meeting and saying we'll we'll work with what you give us oh. and and wouldn't you know they gave us a hell of a lot less. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I know I got caught in the reduction in force in 2011 is when the Navy was really doing the big push. So that sounds about right for, for yeah. part two. They reduced so many people, but they were like, oh, you can go in the army if you want to. Ha, army will take anybody. <laughs> <laughs> but part of that deal, part of that program was I was an E6 in the Navy and I would have had to have gone in the army as an E5. So I was like, deuces like i'm out like i'll be fine yeah. <laughs> but all right george so they weren't, gonna let you, they weren't gonna let you go e6 not in the army no i would have had to have gone in as an e5 yeah no yeah i was like i'm good 10 years done yeah that was wild duty stations all right let's see i my first station out of boot camp was paradise <laughs> <laughs> it was this i mean it was it was it was we. Its nickname was Satan's Wreck, uh, but it was in quite possibly the most beautiful spot on Long Island that I have ever seen. It was. It's in a in a town called Northport. I'm talking the town's called Eaton's Neck, but it, it's with it's in the village of Northport, and it, it's just it's like right smack dab in the center of Suffolk County. Just drive north until you until your feet get wet, and then. It, it, there's this beautiful Eaton's Neck lighthouse, which we were never go, allowed to go inside because of, apparently it had asbestos. And then uh, it was up on on like the cliffs of Long Island Sound and had the sandy beach, beautiful ball field, nice big boathouse, which burnt down and, and a crap CO decided he wanted to put the boathouse on the baseball field because he wasn't a fan of playing softball or baseball or liked having a big field. <laughs> <laughs> He said, "Fun has been secured." Yeah, yeah, secure for morale. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was it was a, a great spot as as ever to to have you know to be a, for that to be my first unit. Great fishing. <laughs> I remember I remember the, the my off time more than I remember the the on duty time. Uh, it was I'll very very hard to get qualified. Say that. <laughs> yeah, it was very very hard to to get qualified as a reserve non rate 
at that place. Nobody really wanted it. Nobody really wants to give non-rates the, the, for, for, for the ground pounders, for the Marines and the, and the, the army guys, non-rates are your, your E2s and E3s. So you're, nobody really wants to give non-rates the time of day to begin with, but now I'm a reservist non-rate. So it was like, Hey, go stand watch. <laughs> I mean, I got the I got the fun hazing too. I got the hey, you know, go go ask the BM one for his Boston hammer. You know, <laughs> hey hey, ask the DC one. Uh, you know, you have to go check the prop wash. Go secure. You know, go get, go ask the DC one for the keys to the, for the sea chest. That kind of stuff. That's amazing. Yeah, Cheers yeah. to hazing. Cheers to hazing. Cheers to hazing. <laughs> the, the, no, the the, qual- the quality hazing, not not the not the yeah the the good stuff. Good stuff. The you good know. Stuff. Hey, now, now, Seaman Demandis lay lay to the lighthouse all the way up the hill. Now, Seaman Demandis lay to the boat docks all the way down to the, you know, <laughs> three, four times that kind of stuff. That's 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 the stuff that builds character. <laughs> I think it's uh, important. So yeah, that was my first duty station, uh, and I was there. I was there uh, until I made BM three, two, three, three, uh, and then and then I went active duty uh, at Station San Diego. Where I served with Amanda's sister, Heather, uh, as I affectionately still call her, even though it's not long, longer her last name, Frosty. Uh, Amanda, Amanda's sister, Heather, was my one of my engineers and one of my board team members. And then when I see us, I was at San Diego from 07 to 09. And then out of there... I went back to Eaton's Neck, went back into the reserves, and then from there went to Station Philly. My wife got into Villanova Law School uh, when right when we were leaving San Diego. So I thought we she got into St. John's Law, so we thought we we're going to be going to, she got that, that notice first. So we thought we were going to be moving back to New York. And then she got accepted to Villanova. Villanova was ranked higher nationally with law schools at the time than St. John's. So we we opted for the higher well, the higher school with the with the le- with the lower tuition and the and the the cost of living in PA was also not New York cost of living. So yeah, yeah, way cheaper. Way yeah. cheaper. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we live in southeastern PA, in the western suburbs of Philadelphia. Uh, and I was state, and then from there, I uh, got from out of Eaton's Neck for a year. I, I transferred to state. What my one of my one of my buddies from San Diego ended up being the executive petty officer of Station Philly, and he's like, "Do you want to come here instead of of commuting from Philly to New York?" And I'm like, "Can you do that?" And he's like, "I'm the XPO. I can do anything." <laughs> and and before uh, before I uh, my command had time to write me a departing award. I was transferred to the station Philly. Funny story, I never got a departing award from any any place I've been. Because I like when I was in San Diego, I was like the assistant to the operations petty officer and I was and I was the training petty officer and because I was well learned and I could write, I, I wrote all of the awards and when it came time for me for for me to leave, there was nobody to write my award. <laughs> you could you didn't want to write your own award? <laughs> I refuse to write my own my my own award. <laughs> I mean, like it, it was well. It's it's that's really like if you think about it, it's like you go like okay, well, you know, that, that's a good joke to have. But if if you're writing awards, like it's one of those things. Like if you don't put yourself in for like the Medal of Honor, like are you really doing it right? <laughs> it's a hard position to be in, you know. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So being stationed, being stationed both on the East Coast and the West Coast. Million dollar question. Um, My favorite it. unit was San Diego, bar none. Bar Woo! none. West Coast. It has nothing, has nothing to do with the West Coast. It had not, nothing to do with the West Coast. The job. The That's job, what we heard. The job in San Diego was quite possibly the best job I've ever had. Hated the bullshit. Hated the politics that involved that was involved in in you know active duty life. Hated that kind of crap. But man, when I got on the boat and I was in charge of of my own you know pursuit craft and going out and doing drug busts, that was the best job I have ever had. You know, the, the, the relationship that I built with my crew, it's probably akin to being a battle buddy or being like a tank crew, something to that, you know, to that effect, like, or, or a shop on, on, a, on a big ship, you know, where you're, you're seeing these people day in and day out. I've never had a job where both in the Coast Guard and civilian world where I became friends with the people that I worked with. You always make friends at work, but I never wanted to like get off duty or or leave work and immediately get back together with these people and hang out you know in our off hours it was a very we were a family you know all of, all of my social i mean amanda knows like yeah. I, we'd get off active duty and hang out with you know, hang out with you hang out with heather hang out with you know john brian and yeah, you, you, they, knew my, you knew my like brought me into the the family unit because of my sister and we hung out all like all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I got to see, you got to see your, people your have better houses than anyone else. So we'd always go hang out with them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, uh, they did. We, we didn't, they didn't have, <laughs> they didn't have like a sweet house. They didn't have, uh, you know, government housing for us. So we got the, that, that per diem, that per diem rent stuff. Like, Every one of them was making bank in San Diego. It was insane. Oh, it wasn't we were making bank. We just everyone thought we were making bank because they they gave us a, a you know something above BAH for for like per diem for which was meant for hotel living. And you know it's like okay, well we're just going to rent something <laughs> something that we want to stay in. Yeah, I know they all had sweet houses. I was like, what? Maybe barely covers my rent for my two bedroom walk up. Like. <laughs> These guys are living but I mean the, so also if, if you're lucky enough to come from so you get BAH when you go when you get when you go title 10 you get BAH for your where where your home address is so I was getting New York City BAH while serving in San Diego and the reason for that it, it makes sense the reason for that is that you have they have to if you're being activated the military has to account for whatever residential obligations you have where you live. So if you have a mortgage, they got to pay you BAH, you know, so you could pay your mortgage. Right. Even if you're not living in your house, it makes sense. Right. So title 10, just in case someone doesn't know is when you were still a reservist, but you were on active duty orders, correct? Is when you're on involuntary. So you were called to active duty. Right. So you didn't have an option. Correct. And then they sent you out to San Diego, which is not anywhere. And you, and you get the then you get the Armed Forces Reserve Medal with with the Mobilization M. Oh, fancy, fancy! <laughs> but I, I absolutely loved loved the job in uh, in San Diego. And what's not to love, love about these love the love the East Coast more? 
It was weird buying my Christmas tree in shorts, but and spending eight hundred dollars for a four foot Christmas tree in San Diego because they don't grow and they have to ship them in. Mm-hmm. It was a expensive a, tree. You just make your tree out of a cactus. That's what I would do. I mean, that's yeah. what I've done that more than once. But all right, George. So we do know that you have some great sea stories. Do you have one that you can tell us today? Uh, all right. What do you, what do you, what kind of story do you want? <laughs> you know, Your I got stories. Story. I do know that you have stories and you've got some great ones. So this is an open forum. So you tell the story that you want to tell. All right. All right. Let's see. It's so funny because a lot of our guests, they have to think about what story they want to tell. I know. <laughs> I love it. I, I mean, I, I have, I have like three in my, like when you, when you sent me the show notes, I, I, I was like, okay, well, which, you know, what story do I, do I want to go with a sad story? Do I want to go with a good story? Do I want to go with a real story or, you know, do I want to go with, with something that makes me look like a badass? <laughs> I, I can tell you, I can tell you about my drug busts. I can tell you about my migrant busts. I can tell you about, I don't go real. I think, I think it's probably, I think it's probably, I have a ton of, I have a ton of love, a ton of respect for, for my branch and for the people that are still doing the work. And I I feel, I feel that this story is probably a great example of how important we as the Coast Guard are in the eternal brotherhood and sisterhood of America's armed forces. And unfortunately it revolves around a very traumatic death uh, or multiple deaths of uh, some some of our our brothers and sisters in the navy. Oh, is this the helicopter crash? It is. Okay. It's probably. I mean, I could tell you a story of nine eleven. You know, I I was I was on active duty then. I I could tell you I could tell you a bunch of stories, but I, I think this is the best real story that I can that I could tell you, and it's not it's it's not bathed in it, it, it it's not to make me look like a badass or like you know or anything like that it's just it's just legit so in 2009 our boat you know some of our it was it was just it was after transfer season so we lost like our you know my my quote-unquote sea daddy you know he, he our rbm rbm1 transferred and and uh he was the head of the you know he and i led the the duty state the duty section and he was he was you know he was my he was the one who taught me how to be a coxswain, taught me how to how to be a leader, and taught me how to run my own boat crew. Because of him is is why I was able to perform uh, the way that I did on this night. Uh, I believe your uh, your sister got switched to another duty section, so she wasn't with us on this. But Brian, our other Larson, our our other guy was who was also in the Navy. He's got a great story. Sorry, I, I, I'm getting somber here, but you guys, I, I need to I need to introduce you to Brian. He has the I best actually, Navy story. I actually reached out to him to see if he wanted to come on the podcast, and he said he didn't want to. So maybe uh, you can drop. Him I'll, a I'll try to reach out. I'll try to. Reach out. So this night we were just going to bed. Some of us were already in the racks, and some of us are staying up watching TV or whatever. And the SAR alarm goes off. Helicopter crash off Las Islas del Coronados, uh, the Coronado Islands. And so myself, two other guys, get out. Uh, get on the boat on the coxswain and we drive we, we we head out it's in mexican waters the, the everything's been cleared already we could go in and go into mexico and and, and conduct the search for crash it was there was a, another coast guard cutter on uh, on scene we i think we were the first ones there there was the the coast guard helo was already on scene 
And we were the first boat unit there and, and a couple of the Coast Guard cutters started making their way. And what ended up happening was I'm forgetting I'm forgetting the, the carrier that they left it off from. They but, actually started at North Island. They left from North Island. I know that they were heading to North Island. Yeah, they started at North Island too because I don't know if you knew this, but I was actually the ground controller when they no, I didn't. departed North Island and went oh, out. Oh, I didn't know that. So I wasn't, I had already, we had had shift change. So I wasn't at work when the crash happened, mm. but I was the ground controller when they departed. Yeah. So my, my boat was the first boat on scene and I believe Harbor, actually, no, I think we're the second boat on scene. I actually think San Diego Harbor police, San Diego Harbor police also responded and I think they got there first because they were already underway in the bay. So we we got out there and we started doing search patterns and we actually recovered the Helos rescue swimmer. Part of the body of one of the pilots was recovered, I believe, by harbor police. And you know, and we were pulling we were pulling up debris from the crash as well for you know for uh, the investigation and whatever. And we passed on, you know, we passed the rescue swimmer's body to over to the cutter where everything was being transferred to. And it was, it was strange. That wasn't, that wasn't the first dead body I've seen. Like I mentioned previously, I was an EMT before I joined the Coast Guard, but it's one of those things where we, I think we all, because his, his, his uh, inflatable life vest went off, he was actually above water so like we we saw his head pitch black middle of the night you know and all, all the only the alone the only illumination on scene is just you know our blue strobes and our our searchlights and we were really lucky to find him and but all you see is is his his flight helmet you know head and then just the inflatable pfd it's one of those sites where we 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 actually we were yelling at him and we're like you know, and I, I remember the the smell of of the the jet fuel uh, the burnt jet fuel, you know, in, on the scene, and you know, we're 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 driving up, and and, and like like I spot him, I'm like I'm like uh, I was looking, I had I had somebody else driving the boat, and I was like I'm like yo, go over there, and Brian Brian's behind me, and we both look, and and we see this guy, we're like hey buddy buddy, you know, and we we thought because he was there, you know, like just being held up that he still might have been alive, and you know, you pull him on board. And because I had the EMT experience, you know, I, I went and I started, he had a, a noticeable wound that, you know, it, it, CPR would not have been a good move. You know, he was, he was noticeably dead and brought him on, had, and we, I forget who the, who our fourth crewman was. It was one of those things where, where you really shouldn't forget. You know what? I just realized who our fourth crewman was and why I forget because I didn't like the guy. Uh, so we assigned him. We assigned him to sort of just like stand watch over over the body. And you know we we brought we brought the swimmer over to the to the cutter transfer and continued this the continued the the search. You know it was a really it was a horrible evening. We acted as we were trained. We responded immediately. We did what we were supposed to do. We recovered. You know one of the the flight crew. Continued searching, but it was it was something that all of the inter-service ribbing that we do behind it all. There's there's that brother and sisterhood, you know. There's there's that that love and respect, and it's and seeing one of our brothers just lie on the back of my boat, it, it's 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 an image that stays with you. Yeah, 
and it's it's something that you know as a boat crew we all went to the to the, the more they they the navy put a very nice memorial on the midway and you know our our boat crew went I'm trying to remember any any sort of any other any other details i can remember it was just it's something that never leaves you because we we also recovered a helmet so yeah it's kind of hard to like i remember the when we got there they still hadn't identified the helo they hadn't identified the helo they hadn't identified what unit they were from so when the first thing that that was recovered at all was that helmet that we found uh floating and you know and i remember being on the radio and describing the unit's logo it was like it was almost like it was a a lightning bolt an orange lightning bolt kind of a, th- a thing that was like wrapped in almost uh, a curve, almost sort of, sort of like a ram ram's horn. So because of that, and, and that was relayed from you know our Coast Guard Ops Center to the Navy, uh, they were able to know you know know which unit they're from, and then because like I don't even think that they like 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 the the call came to like the Coast Guard first, like like the, it was like a mayday call or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. So like I, I think we notified like from what I if I remember correctly this was a long time ago this was eleven years but if I remember correctly from what Op Center was telling me like we notified the Navy uh, like the Navy was like in in the discovery stages of like something's wrong mm-hmm. and then we're like hey one of our like we have a helo down it's one of yours you know and then it's like like a few minutes later it's like hey one of our crew found a helmet and this is what it looks like so a little bit about the flip side of that and what we see from an air traffic controller side, which is not something that you guys are always privileged to because you guys hear the call and you respond. But we actually probably knew which helicopter it was before you guys did because of our flight following. And so we knew which helicopters were out. And so we immediately go into contacting the ones that we can. And so we knew very, very quickly. And like like a chain of information, it doesn't always get out to the people that it needs to get out to as quickly as it should. But well, yeah, like our our op center wasn't talking to you guys. Our op center right. was talking to some like generalized navy yeah. Yeah. OOD so, or something like. So that. in the actual air traffic control facility, we knew exactly which helicopter it was before you guys even got on the scene, and yeah. um, it was to this day because it was it was a female pilot and to this day like i still remember her voice i, I there, there's there's a or there's a the last people there's a part of, of of the story that i am purposefully leaving out and it pertains to her and i'm sure you know what it is oh yeah yeah but it was and to this day like i still remember her voice and and it's wild because you know that that stuff happens but like you don't think about it on a day-to-day basis when you're when you're talking to them because we get so even as controllers, we get so into the routine, you know, so we give them directions and we say frequency change approved, have a safe flight, good day. And they say good day and they go about their business and you just expect them to come home from a train admission and then they don't. And that's, yeah. that's hard. Can you tell us a fun story now that we got super serious? Huh, fun story. <laughs> All right. This is a good one. This, this pertains, this actually, uh, this actually includes your sister. So, <laughs> so uh, I was a, a boarding officer that was that's like the highest level of law enforcement like you're in charge of the boarding team and your sister your, i think your sister might have made bo but she was also she was at the time she was my 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 btm my boarding team member and i trained her i trained her in law enforcement proudly she was a kick-ass btm and she and she would have i would trust her with with having my back any day and she was trained well you know <laughs> pat, pat myself on the back during her certification and we have this big thing. We're a very progressive branch. 
of treating women the same way we treat men. And it, so I was involved at the time I was, I was being, I was doing my certification to, to be, to be able to sign off, uh, to be able to run the certain, these practical exams, these practical boards. And it's basically the, these, the, the boarding team practical board, practical exams are uh, role-playing scenarios. You have to do written work uh, to get certified in law enforcement on the Coast Guard. You have to do written work. You have to do you, now. I think you actually have to go to a law enforcement school for all levels. But for like boarding team member, you it was it was in unit training generally. There was BTM school, but it was there were few and far between, and you were allowed to train in unit for for BTM. So I was like John. BM BM2 at the time, BM2 Adams, he was running Frosty's practical exam. And I was being trained or being certified to to become an an administrator myself. So I was involved heavily in the role playing. Yes. Oh, yeah. Written work, oral board, practical. So we're doing your sister aced the the oral board and we're doing the practical and and because your sister though can be loud was all we were all there was a time when when she fired the shotgun and it like flew out of her hands at the range like the fir- like the first time she shot so everyone was a little concerned about her performance on the practical and like i mentioned previously the coast guard being the progressive uh branch that it is treats its women as it treats its men and there is a scenario that i hated and i was hoping i would not have to do it but it's the purpose of it was meant to elicit an anger response and see if, if they would use excessive force. So John whispers in my ear, it's time to slap her. Oh. And I'm like, I don't want to do it. <laughs> I'm not doing it. He's like, you have to do it. We, we do it to everyone. You got like, I got smacked. Like you're, there, there comes a time and when you're doing a boarding where you're, where you may be, you know, you're doing law enforcement. You may be, you may have to use force. Right. <laughs> you may get hit and we have to judge your reaction. And I did not want to hit her. <laughs> I did not, did not want to hit her. It was one of those situations where it's like, okay, I, I have to get down on, you know, she's going to, she's going to cuff me, whatever else. She talks me down to my knees. I get on my knees and I'm like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. So she gets close. And and, I'm like, and I look up at her and I'm like, like with these puppy dog eyes. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Like I like I apologize before I did. I'm like I'm sorry. And she's like, what? <laughs> right across the face. Her eyes went from like you know like okay I'm ner- I'm nervous. This is my practical exam to like like this fury. Like they turned like this shade of like demon red. And yeah, my sister can be a psycho Sally like. I don't remember what our boots are made of. They're either steel toe or composite toe, something like that. But good God, I I caught that right to the gut. I do not bruise easily, but I had a I had a frosty shaped boot toe on my on my stomach, and she didn't talk to me for a long time. <laughs> like she she did not she was not happy with me. She held that ground. She passed. She passed. She became she became a kick-ass BTM, and uh, I did many, many, many boardings with her. 
And, but yeah, she didn't talk to me for, for, for a few weeks, no matter how many times I apologized. Like, it's it's just not like she didn't know. It's, like, it's not like she didn't know that we do this. Like she's, <laughs> she's smacked other dudes, you know, in, in these scenarios. But yeah, nope. hope that lives up to the fun. My podcast guest hit my sister. First, first, and, all, first and only woman. I, I, first ever woman. I know. It's the first and only woman that ever caught these hands. <laughs> You're like tapping I'm out. Sh- I'm still ashamed of myself. I know. I tried but, to get my sister on here, but she didn't want to respond to my text message. So. But you know what? Your, your, your sister and I, we, 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 your sister and I remain friends to this day. She actually used me as a reference on her job application for whatever job she's working now. Yeah. She's doing something with the city that she lives in. Yeah. Yeah. Local government kind of thing. Yeah. She's, which is cool because like, I've been able to remain friends with you still too yeah. through that relationship. So that's super cool, mm-hmm. which I'm thankful for because you and Katie are pretty cool and your kids are pretty cute. So, yeah. yeah <laughs> All right, George. So eventually everyone has to get out of the service and leave service life and become veterans. How was God, your- God, it was tough. Yeah. See, I didn't even get the question out. <laughs> How was your transition? Out. Oh God, it was tough. I, I, but it was, it was, let me tell you, it, it, I was, when I got off active duty, I had, I went back to the reserves. I struggled adapting to a reservist lifestyle. It, it was hard. God. Yeah. It was one of those things where I felt more comfortable with the active component at station Philly than I did. Like I hung out, like not hung out with them. It wasn't, I never had another relationship like I had with, with my friends in San Diego, but like whenever we were like on duty and hanging out on duty, like I was more comfortable with the active guys and like we're shooting the shit with the active guys and not so much with the reservists, you know, half the reservists were like Philly cops and like the, like a quarter of them were like Philly firefighters. And then the rest of them had like weird ass jobs. A couple of them were students like the, the active guys were like, you know, I just go and I sit down with them in the TV room. We just, it was, it was like, I was one of them and they kind of sort of got that, that vibe off of me. So like I was accepted by them in that, in that, that way. But like, you know, I'm, I'm also a fucking reservist, <laughs> but yeah, so the, the, it was that, that sort of thing. But like, it, it was, it was super hard because getting off active duty in 2010, it was a horrible time to try to get a job in the civilian yeah. world. And like I ended up working like three, four, five, if you count the reserves, part-time jobs, you know, and then while my wife, while putting my wife through law school and, you know, it was, it was a struggle, you know, we were struggling with, you know, at times struggling, you know, asking our parents for, for loans so we could make our rent, you know, this, the stress and, and, and mental strain of being able to try to survive, you know, <laughs> financial stress was, was a lot. What was really strange was in 2012, the days lined up with 2001. So September 11th, 2001 was a Tuesday. September 11th, 2012 was a Tuesday. And unbeknownst to me, or semi-knownst, I suppose, I suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder from 9-11. I was a rescue worker. Remember, I was an EMT. I was a rescue worker at 9-11. My, September 11th was my second day on duty at the Coast Guard. CO calls me to his office and says, hey, I heard you're an EMT. Can you do more work there than you can here? And I'm like, yeah, yes, sir. You know, <laughs> Got myself on an ambulance and I, was, uh, and I was at ground zero. Came back, not that bright-eyed, bushy-tailed boot that was you know, bothering everybody with my gung-ho-ness right out of boot camp, you know, moping around and, and it was noticed. 
and they sent me for civilian, which was odd to me. Why didn't I go to a military? I didn't learn the reason why until until the end of my Coast Guard career. Uh, they sent the the CEO had me go to a civilian. He brought somebody from CISM, from Critical Incident Stress Management. Some CISM certified warrant came from across the Sound, from from uh, sector Long Island Sound, Group Long Island Sound at the time, and interviewed me. Came there to talk about, you know, he spoke to everybody in ga- at, at quarters in the galley. You know, it, there were a lot of you guys that went there, you know, and, and served on the boats. Is there any, you know, I'm here for you if you need if you need me. You know, okay, now, you know, now liberty, 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 you know. Hey, Devan, it's not so fast. Hey, so, you know, Mr. Galvin brought me here. Like, I, I spoke to everybody, but he specifically brought me here for you. Tons of respect for CO. Tons of respect for that man. For, because, if for no other reason, for, for this reason. He saw a, a reservist non-rate moping around, head down, obviously, 20-year-old kid. I was a 20-year-old kid. My, my, my adolescent mind had, had not finished forming yet when I was you know, in, in shin high, uh, rubble and ash in downtown Manhattan. And, and Mr. Galvin noticed it, you know, Boson, Boson warrant noticed it and brought, brought this warrant from across the Long Island Sound to come and see me under the guise of, Hey, I'm here for everybody. Uh, takes me on the back deck of the, uh, of the galley and had a conversation with me. And he goes, you know, obviously getting my career. He goes. I'm gonna. I, I want. I'm gonna tell Mr. Galvin that I think you need to go and go to some sort of str- like debriefing. But you should do this with uh, with like a civilian group. Find find. You know, we're gonna order you to go and find a a, a first responder group. I'm a 20 year old kid. What do I know? I'm a non-rate. Yeah, yes, sir. Sir, yes, sir. You know. Um, went to some group therapy with some guys from FDNY, Fire Department, New York, who were much in much worse shape than I was. I remember this one guy that just sat there quietly staring at the floor. He was, he was the, the driver of his, his truck and the lone survivor of his entire firehouse. And I was sitting here and I'm like, I don't have it this bad. I, I didn't, I, I mean, I, I knew some people who died, but like, I didn't lose guys I was, that I was stationed with. I didn't, I didn't, you know, like I'm, I'm just this kid, you know, I, I don't have it this bad. I got my got my paper signed, handed it into the command. Never showed up again. Somebody else, somebody who deserves this more than me needs this. I, I, I don't need to go go to this. Somebody who needs this more deserves this seat. Years go by, some symptoms here and there. You know, a couple of anxiety attacks. You know, early on with some flashbacks. The remember how I mentioned the jet fuel from the helicopter crash? The jet fuel gave me a quick flashback because downtown Manhattan smelled like that. The first flashback I ever had was when the smell came down Long Island. It went from the city and just came down Long Island Sound. I got out of my car for a reserve weekend in October, uh, October of 01, opened my car door and I, st- and I stood there. I opened my car door, got out, I smelt the air and I was back in lower Manhattan, but I was standing at my car. And somebody comes to me, hey, hey, Demanis, you okay? What are you doing? You know, that kind of a thing. So yeah, like that, that was, it was, you know, ended up developing PTSD from, from 9-11. And in 2012, the days coinciding affected me more than, affected me in such a way where 
I, I realized I needed help. I have a tendency to utilize humor, sometimes inappropriately, when I'm under great stress. And I did so, and it got me in trouble at work, at, the, at a job I had in, in Philly at the time. So it was a was, civilian job, correct? It wasn't a military job? No, not a military job, civilian job. It was on, it was on September 11th, and I was on, I was feeling, you know, it was the anniversary of my traumatic event and I was feeling stress and I was exhausted and reacted with inappropriate humor. It made me realize though that I needed help. Something's not right. Thankfully, I had just been approved for VA benefits. <laughs> um, Those VA benefits are a blessing in disguise. It came, I mean, I waited two years. I waited two years for it. But it was such a, you know, two years after getting active, uh, coming off of active duty to get it. But it, I had maybe, I had just gotten approved a couple, couple months prior. Merely called up the Philadelphia VA. Hey, hey man, listen, I'm in a bad way. You know, is there somebody I can talk to? Are you experiencing thoughts of suicide? Are you experiencing, you know, do you, do you feel like you want to harm yourself or harm somebody else? Nah, dude, I'm just really fucking depressed. Like, I just need to talk to somebody. Well, sure, come on in. Okay, just, just come into come to the emergency room, and we'll get you with who you need to speak with. Okay, go to the VA hospital. The beginning of if anyone's ever dealt with with the VA, the beginning sucks. Your initial, I mean, you're especially. I mean, well, back then, I mean, I, I, I've I know that during the last like uh, eight ten years, it's gotten better. But when I started, it was it was one of those situations like like I I got disapproved for my shoulder injury that occurred on the boat. My shoulder actually got dislocated and popped back in. The doctor wrote me off as having ten percent for carpal tunnel in my left hand, and and on the evaluation form wrote veteran declines further evaluation. Veteran did not decline further evaluation. They're like that's not the story. No, <laughs> that's not what happened. And that was the time that I got into the VA. So the horror stories are definitely true. And I definitely, I definitely empathize with the vets who, who have a grudge against the VA system. But I can tell you that it gets better. I tell you that it has gotten better. And I'm standing here a healthier man because of it. I attribute a great deal of my mental health to my therapist, James Grassi of the VA Medical Center in Philadelphia. You know, I went through scared, scared. I've never been more scared. I served honorably. I had a badass job where I was hunting smugglers. I seen death, stared in the face. None of that scared me. I've jumped from moving vessel to moving vessel. Didn't scare me. The things that scare me are, are if, my, if my family, if something was to happen to my family, my, my fear comes from you know, my being a father my being a husband. That's, my, those, that's where my fear emanates from. I jokingly say that the only thing I'm scared of is being eaten because what happens after you're eaten is you get digested and you become a literal piece of shit. Dwell on that. That's, that, like, that's my joking fear. My actual only fear is, is, is for my family's safety. There is nothing scarier than staring down the demons in your mind in the darkest recesses of your, of, of your brain. Cause you're, you're fighting yourself fighting. You're fighting your own predispositions. You're fighting, you're fighting things that you've told yourself to get through your traumatic event. And there is no greater battle to fight than that. You know, I'm, I'm still here. Did I have thoughts of suicide? Yes. Yes. 9-11 did a lot to me. I was 20 years old. I was a kid. 
and to see evil on that magnitude in my own backyard, it affected me. And I didn't realize it until, until I was older. And it came back and it affected me when there are other stressors in my life. And the VA was there for me. It was the beginning sucked. Getting, getting approved sucked. Going through that, the evaluations, awful. But like I said, I've heard they've gotten better. They, I just recently went through them in the beginning or December. I had my compensation appointments and then I was approved mid-January. Like it was less than a month. That's pretty quick. Yeah. And then I was me, in two years. With, yeah. And then I was in with mental health by mm-hmm. the beginning of February. Like I had had my primary care appointment and she put in the referral for mental health and I was in with mental health at the beginning of February. So it was so bad when you were starting, but it has come yeah. so far. So you know, I, 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 I preach that all the time. And on this podcast, I talk about it. And you, if you haven't done it, you just need to do it. Like, yeah. You go to the it, DAV. No if, how if, you're not, if you're not if you're not eligible for for the VFW, go to the DAV. The DAV they have it's 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 a you don't have to do this on your own. If you want to apply for something, go go to a, a service. I forgot what they're called. Service agency. So the DAV, okay. the American Legion, the VFW. They'll all fill out the paperwork for you. Yeah. You know. Well, and I know in Dallas, I don't know about other VAs, but in Dallas, they actually have a service, what they call a service officer, on site that you can make mm-hmm. an appointment with. And you take your medical records up there and they go through them with you and they, they pull out what they feel like the, the comp and pen boards are looking for and what they'll approve you for. And it's, it's become a very, maybe like less stressful is the way to, to put it. They've come a long way in making it easier for veterans to get the help that they need. That's good. That's good. Cause I can tell you the help is worth it. Yeah. There are, petrified like i'm still petrified dealing with mental health and because it's scary it's so you know there there's there was a poster the i was embarrassed i was embarrassed i was just which is really weird like it's it's a it's a funny thing to 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 think i was embarrassed going to the whenever whenever i was in the elevator get to the va in the beginning and i get into the elevator and someone was else was coming with me and i get off and the thing says fourth floor mental health i was embarrassed you know, and and then as soon as you get out of the elevator bay, there's this poster of of, uh, of a soldier, and you know, giving the salute, and it's like you were brave enough to fight. What was it? It was the the motivational phrase was like you were brave enough to fight. You were brave enough to fight for your country. Be brave enough to fight for yourself, or something. It was something. I'm paraphrasing. It was something like that, and, and like you see that as soon as you get off the elevator bay, and I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I could do this. But you know what? A lot of people shit on the VA. And, you know, previous performance, it, it, a lot of it is is warranted. But they have really quality healthcare. Once you're in it, it you know, for me, it was, it was, a, it was a, I, I, can't, I went in in a tough time to get in. You know, and they've come leaps and bounds since. And once you're in, the quality of care is fantastic. I mean, especially with, let me tell you something. So, so COVID, COVID happens and my anxiety starts to flare up. Um, you know, I'm getting scared. My family's safety, like it's my, my one biggest fear, my family's safety. Apparently I'm, I'm high risk because I'm a negative blood type. <laughs> 
But like my my father in law has got lung issues. You know, he's he's a high risk category. COVID, so COVID happens, and it's starting to get better. You know, it's summertime now. You know, things. New York is new. You know, we we embraced the suck, stayed home, didn't bitch about wearing masks, and did what we were supposed to do to get our numbers down. And to our credit, we got our numbers down. You know, and and we've been hover. We've been staying around a one percent infection rate, which for me, I'm still like, well, all right, one percent in the grand scheme of things isn't that bad in the state in the state of New York. That's still anywhere between 500 and 1,000 people get infected every day. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's still a lot of people. So, but it's summertime and we're beach people. And I live 15 minutes door to parking lot from Jones Beach, one of the one of the best beaches in New York. State Park, 50% capacity. Jones Beach can get crowded pre-COVID. Like, you know, those stereotypical beach photos of New York is is Jones Beach. We get there. And even at fifty percent capacity, it was crowded. And in my my mind, I'm like, there's no way there's there's not one person here spreading COVID. And and I had a panic attack at the beach with my family. Panic attack, Katie. I can't do anything. Take I need twenty minutes. Take the kids to the water. You know, sitting there, closing my eyes, working on on the stress breathing. You know, like doing doing what I, trying to get my myself in control. And decide I'm I'm gonna email Jim. Maybe I can maybe I can. Talk to my PTSD therapist. Saying I'm having an anxiety attack. You know, uh, at the time, I know it's changed, but when I when I first started going through therapy, at the time, PTSD was an anxiety disorder. Okay, I've I suffered from anxiety from when I was going through PTSD therapy. So okay, well, let me let me email Jim. Email Jim. Hey Jim, are you still with the VA? Didn't get a bounce back. Okay, email went through. A week later, he gets back to me. Hey George, I'm sorry. You know, I I just like broke my shoulder or something, or, or tore his shoulder up. Or, or no, no, no. He had, he had knee surgery. Yeah, he had knee surgery. He had knee surgery. He had he had a knee replacement. He, and I, you know, this is my first week back. Uh, yes, I'm still here. Uh, are you okay? You know, um, can I make an appointment with you, Jim? And you know, I spoke to him like, hey, I'm I'm back in New York. You know, I got two beautiful boys and just to give you, you know, let's catch up real quick. You know, I got two beautiful boys now and, and uh, we ended with, with, you know, when, when my oldest son, Chris, now five was, was just maybe, maybe under a year old, caught him up on my life and said, Hey, I'm, I'm in New York now. My wife's a prosecutor in Manhattan and uh, can I still speak with you? And Did Jim, you the video chat. Yeah. Yeah. Do, Doxy something. That yeah, it's called. a great program. Like I've done all my mental health visits because I started at the start of COVID. I've been in yeah. all my mental health visits via video chat, which has been really cool because I like to travel. And so mm-hmm. I don't have to schedule my appointments around my travel. I'm yeah. able to keep them consistent and then just, just tap in from wherever I'm from or wherever I'm at. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, he, I was able to go through and he, he helped me you know, work, work through my anxiety and of being in small groups and whatever else. And unfortunately, uh, the VA now changed their, uh, their system. They're now, apparently there's been a lot of like a surge of mental health cases, of course, you know, so they're, um, they're onboarding two veterans a week and uh, he said, hey, the VA is changing up, you know, the way that it does stuff. And I'm like, Jim, is this our last session? He goes, well, I could do one more for, with you, but uh, I'm not happy about it. But, you know, if 
if you need, if you feel like you need more help, then you have to register with your local VA. Unfortunately, where I live, I have two choices. Fort Hamilton, Brooklyn, there's never a, a reason to go to Brooklyn. And, <laughs> and Northport, Long Island. Both, it's it's like like an hour one way, an hour another way. It's, the VA is not very convenient for me anymore. But that just goes to show you how, like, the people in the VA care. They care about us. You know? And that was the point of this story. You know, the, like, I was... Yeah. <laughs> You know, I'm I'm not in PTSD therapy anymore. You know, I went through and I, I went and I actually visited the 9-11 Memorial and I went to the 9-11 Museum and, and I was fine. You know, I, I, I successfully completed my, my PTSD therapy back in 13, 14, whatever it was. Had an issue again, had an anxiety issue, reached out to my, to my, uh, my therapist and he had no problem seeing me again. Yeah. Virtually. Yeah, that virtual thing is so cool. All right, so George, if you had any advice for fellow veterans either struggling to find their way or service members that are getting ready to become veterans, what would that be? Look, first and foremost, we're a fraternity. You know, if you, if you need me, I'm here for you. You know, at G-D-A-M-A-N-I-S. I'm sure it'll be in the show notes. Mm-hmm. At G-Demanis everywhere. Tweet at me. I'm not really that active on Twitter. You know, uh, we can't figure it out because we're old. Uh, I'll, I'll help you with that. <laughs> but we, no, I'm, a, I'm a social, I'm a social media marketer. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a marketer. I do social media marketing. It's not, this is not, you know, but yeah, you know, I mean, I mean, I get back to you immediately on Twitter, but you know, follow, like I, I like to say, follow me on Instagram for periods of stagnancy and, uh, mo- and moments of brilliance. Uh, that is how I work Instagram too. <laughs> I'm either really good for like a short period of time and then like you get nothing from me for six months. Well, so in addition to being a marketer, I'm, I'm a photographer. And the reason why I stopped, I was actually being quite regular with with Instagram and wanted to use it. It's, it's a visual medium and it's perfect for photographers. Unfortunately, there was a, a case that was ruled against photographers with regards to copyright. And I am not, and, and, and it, the only way that this can f- be fixed is if Instagram changes its terms of service. So basically the long and short of the story is that there's, there is a big brand that took a photographer's photo off of Instagram because it was made public and used it in an advertisement and did not attribute credit or pay the photographer for use of the image. Photographer sued and lost. And the judge ruled that because of Instagram's terms of service, it's considered, it's considered public fo- uh, photo and able for use. That's why all the photographers I follow on Instagram all have their watermark on every single picture. You can take that out. Like watermarks are worthless on digital media. They're worthless. I just feel like that that would make it, I mean, and I'm sure some of these people don't really care enough, but wouldn't that make it something illegal if you remove a watermark? No, not according to this judge. So yeah. Obviously from New York. So yeah, first, for, <laughs> I was going to say, I think it's from Texas. No, <laughs> yeah. well, like, It all comes down to, you know, Instagram has their terms and services written by attorneys to protect their Instagram. brand. 
Yeah. So they are a platform for public use. And so they are saying, hey, we can't do anything about it if you put it out on the internet. Like, that's it. I oh, heard, no. I heard I, that Instagram is working on this, though. So I, I may be back to public to, to posting regularly, but yeah. So, I mean, first and foremost, if you, if you need me, if you need advice, you know, feel free, reach out. My advice for, for veterans beyond that is don't give up on the VA. Even if it feels like they gave up on you, there's some D bags, you know, in the forefront that should not be there. And, and from what I've heard, they're working their way out and their work and, and the VA is working its way through them. And, you know, and Amanda's, uh, testament to, you know, her, uh, compensation board, you know, taking about a month is proof of, of that. Yeah. It's got bear with so it. Much better. Bear with it. It's worth it. You're worth it. Your mental health, your physical health, you, you know, you, we, we served, we, we did this, we did this for our country. Do this for yourself. Stick with it. Use that military honed ability to embrace the suck. If you're going through a hard time in being a veteran, being a civilian, reach out to the VA, get help. They'll, they help me, they'll help you. All right. And then, like you said, if our listeners wanted to contact you, they can reach you at? At G Demanis. G? All the things. Uh, Golf, Delta, Alpha, Mike, Alpha, November, India, Sierra. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's all the social media Cheers to the phonetic alphabet real quick. Cheers. We haven't done very many cheers. appropriate phonetic alphabet. Yeah. Oh, man. That makes me crazy when people are like, D as in dog. I work with, but I work with elderly people. And so when I'm spelling things for them, I know we go S for Samantha. Oh, gosh. D as in dog. A as in apple. Oh, yeah. It, I don't, I'm not saying I like it, but I'm not going to go phonetic <laughs> alphabet with my 70, 80 year old clients. Yeah, mm. no, I feel you. I feel you. All right. Yeah, so, no. Do you want to talk about the charity that we've chosen to support in this episode? Sure. So similar to previous episodes and forever moving forward, and not that we won't support other organizations, but we are supporting Silva Hala Project and the 22 a day and the awareness that they want to bring out for veteran mental health and the fact that 22 veterans kill themselves every day. I have my bracelet on, but yeah, that is our, that is our current charity. You can go to org to check out their, their organization, but we strongly believe in their mission, the awareness that they're trying to bring about for veteran suicide. If you would like to contact Amber or myself, we can be reached on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Veterans Drinking Vodka, or you can email us directly at veteransdrinkingvodka at gmail.com. Please reach out if you would like to tell your story and be a guest on our podcast. You can send us an email at the Gmail that Amanda just mentioned, or you can DM us on any of the social media platforms. If you like our podcast, subscribe on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, or Amazon. Also, leave us a review and let us know what you think. It's important for those reviews to keep our podcast going. We want that constructive criticism and feedback from our listeners. Um, and you can also join us every Sunday for Veterans After Hours via Zoom at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. 
You can look for the invite on our social media platforms and that'll get you the link to register to join that group. We are hanging out, telling stories, sharing resources and meeting new friends. It's a fun time. It's so much fun. It is fun time. 22 is 22 too many. One's too many. And you are never alone. Veterans drinking vodka. Cheers. Cheers.